How many of you grew up watching or showing your kids Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Yeah, yeah. I was born at just the right time. I was four when it first appeared on my local PBS station, the perfect age for this unique show. And paired with Sesame Street, which came out at about the same time, this little girl who grew up on the northernmost of the Taconic Mountains in upstate New York was suddenly learning about towns and cities, counting and spelling in English and Spanish. I learned what other people looked like, what it meant to use our imagination, and what it meant to be a neighbor. I was reminded of this powerful ministry from this gentle Presbyterian minister from Pittsburgh when I watched the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, last summer, on a flight to Lincoln, Nebraska, by the way, with on my iPad with sobs so badly hidden that the flight attendant brought Kleenex to me. <laughs> but watching this film, it struck me how important it was to hear those messages back then in the wake of the King and Kennedy assassinations in the midst of the Vietnam War and the restlessness of the country, something that I as a small child knew nothing about except the theme, things seemed wrong and some of my schoolmates' dads never came home. I don't think it's a mistake that this documentary and the upcoming film about Fred Rogers starring Tom Hanks is resonating so deeply right now. The lessons that Mr. Rogers was teaching us and is still teaching us help ground us when we feel utterly ungrounded. They're there for the taking, these things, these things that Unitarian Minister Robert Fulgham also reminded us of that we learned in kindergarten. How to be kind, how to share, how to forgive, how to take care of ourselves and each other. We need these reminders. Too often, I fear, we get caught up in the hustle and bustle and lately the existential anxiety of our times. We get so caught up, we forget to pay attention to others. We forget that while we are the lead character in our own story, we are but bit players and maybe background extras in the stories of others. So many times it seems other people try to upstage us with their ideas, their opinions, and their criticisms. Or, or worse, we upstage them as if we are more important or our ideas are more valuable. It's no wonder that Mr. Rogers' neighborhood continues to be so important. The ministry of Rogers focused on teaching not just children, but all of us, how to live out the assertion that we have inherent worth and dignity just by being human and how we're all worthy of care and consideration. And while I don't know this for a fact, Roger's faithful Christianity leads me to suspect that the grounding for at least some of those lessons may have come from a sometimes difficult but ultimately helpful text from the letter to the Ephesians. Now, I say difficult because the writer uses the metaphor of marriage to explain this point, and this is where that awful wives be subject to your husbands thing comes out. And it's okay to ignore that part. Yeah. But, but really, 
really what the writer is getting at and, and states that the beginning and the end of this passage is simply this, be subject to one another. Now, for those not familiar with the biblical text, this epistle or letter to the church in Ephesus is one of many written in the name of Paul of Tarsus, carrying on the ministry of someone who planted these Jesus churches around the Mediterranean. By this time, Paul had this collection of churches he had planted and now stewards, and well, like a congregational consultant does. And well, let's not kid ourselves. People 2,000 years ago were just like us. And any time you get a bunch of people together, collected at any kind of organization, eventually there'll be some unrest and uncertainty and misbehavior, especially when they're collected around a mission or a vision or a belief. And you'll have to forgive me a minute. It is just too hot here in New England. My hair is going to have to go up. But what I realized is that these epistles aren't so much sacred text as they are, well, swift kicks in their collective keisters. Over and over again, Paul, or well, one of his staff anyway, is telling them to remember that what holds you together is something better than the way you are behaving. To, to stop bending the stories of Jesus to make you look good and, well, to stop being bad to one another. This one to the Ephesians is no different. My hunch is, based on the text, that there was a lot of conflict and infighting. So this letter is very much reminding everyone to get along with one another. Especially since the figure that they're centering around, Jesus, is most assuredly not keen on people treating each other with disrespect. In other words, this whole text, this whole idea, isn't so much about a particular belief or connection to a particular God. It's about you and it's about me, which means it's about us. What we are talking about is seeing one another as family, as the people to whom we devote our last measure of affection. It's how we are seen and cared for and thought of. This is calling us back to our best selves. It's about how we treat one another, the people we have known for months, years, decades. The people we work side by side with on committees and events and projects. The people we celebrate with and mourn with. The people who delight us and annoy us, but whom we consider family. The people who we see care for, think of, and hope are seen by, cared for by, and thought of by. Now, I know, people don't always get along well all the time. Of course we don't. It often happens when there are decades of history. When I first started serving our congregation in South Hold on Long Island, I had a series of meetings with members so I could learn more about the congregation and the people. And one afternoon, I was to meet with a woman I'll call Dorothy, who had been a member for about 40 years. And then later in the afternoon, I had a meeting with a woman I'll call Caroline, who had been a member for about 40 years. Both women had served as president, taught religious education, been on various committees. I mean, they had done it all. In my conversation with Dorothy, 
I learned about the seven-year span that she and Caroline hadn't talked to one another because Caroline had done something she deemed so terrible, but, well, at some point, they kind of forgot about it, and, well, they still argue a lot, but they're kind of talking again. A few hours later, I learned from Caroline about how she and Dorothy hadn't talked for about seven years because Dorothy had done something that was so terrible, but, you know, over time, she kind of forgot about it, and, well... They still argue a lot, but they're talking again. And mostly, they're not talking trash about each other. And my point is that many of you have similar stories. We sometimes speak without thinking because, well, these people know me and I can say anything I want around them. But it does matter. And the way we treat each other and speak to each other can cause long-held grudges and hard rifts. We assume there's a level of trust, forgetting that trust needs to be constantly tended. I wonder if Caroline and Dorothy could have avoided the seven years of silence if they thought about how they were seeing one another, how they were speaking to one another, how they were being subject to one another. Maybe they have realized what had happened and made an effort to call one another back into covenant I sometimes wonder what happens when we remember to call each other back into covenant. This matters because if we don't get it right inside our walls, we have no hope of getting it right outside our walls. Because being subject to one another is about family and friends and, of course, fellow First Parish members. But it's also about strangers in the workplace, in the coffee shop, Driving on 495, at the airport, at the gym, yes, in all these places that we collect and connect. This is about how we treat each other with our policies and our laws. This is how we affirm justice, equity, and compassion. Now let me be clear, being subject to one another is not about being subservient as some might want to interpret this Ephesians text. This isn't about an imbalance of power. Rather, it is about attention, being attentive to one another. We might see it as being kind. Now, I want to make a distinction. I do not mean nice. I hate that word, nice. Nice is wishy-washy. Nice rolls over, nice buys into the gospel of comfort that says we don't want to offend. Nice is complacent. Nice doesn't want to make waves or make a stink and lets people have their own version of the truth, even when it's not factual. Nice doesn't want to bother anybody. Nice says that comfort is more important than goodness. Ease is more valued than doing what's right. Blah. We are, however, supposed to be kind. Kindness sees a need and offers to help. Kindness stands up for the person being bullied and makes sure they're safe. Kindness disrupts lawlessness and incivility. Kindness goes out of its way. Kindness recycles. Kindness holds the door. Kindness builds a ramp. Kindness explains. Kindness knows its privilege and uses it to build justice. 
And that's just the start. Because kindness isn't easy. Kindness is kind of uncomfortable because it requires us to not stay comfortable. To not just be nice. Kindness doesn't sit still. And kindness acts in many big and small ways. Kindness calls elected representatives and writes letters and votes and makes sure other people can vote too and goes to protest marches and makes sure that everyone who wants a voice has one. Kindness wants to close the camps at the border and stop ICE raids. Kindness believes the survivors of sexual assault, abuse, and violence. Kindness prays for the protection of sacred land and sacred water and asks forgiveness. Kindness knows that trans people cannot be erased. Kindness presses legislators to send aid to Puerto Rico and fix the water supply in Flint, Michigan. Kindness seeks justice for victims of sex trafficking and child pornography and fraud. Kindness works for racial justice because it knows that black lives matter. Kindness answers yes. It doesn't calculate the return on investment or the risk of reputation or the fear of the comments. Kindness is present for the moment. Like I said, it isn't easy, but kindness matters. Kindness doesn't assume everyone knows how we do things here. Kindness welcomes new ideas as a gift, not a challenge. Kindness embraces complexity. Kindness embraces discomfort in the service to something better. It prefers effectiveness over efficiency. Kindness apologizes and takes responsibility. Kindness speaks honestly, but also speaks with thoughtfulness and care. Imagine if we were thoughtful in how we communicate with one another. If we thought about how impact matters more than intent and that we don't always have to speak if it's not helpful or needed or inspiring or kind. We are called to be kind. Kindness is how we live into covenant with one another, how we act as Fred Rogers taught us to act, how the writer of Ephesians taught us to act. You see, there's a reason the writer of Ephesians uses marriage as his metaphor for being subject to one another. He's not just talking about affection for others, but understanding that when all is said and done, we're all a part of one family, one body. How can we be unkind to one part of our body when it's so intrinsically a part of us? This gospel artist Hezekiah Walker sings, I need you, you need me. We're all a part of God's body. Stand with me, agree with me. We're all a part of God's body. It is God's will that every need be supplied. You are important to me. I need you to survive. Imagine when we think of another person this way and show them that they matter and see them as individuals and listen to their stories and consider their needs. 
Imagine if we thought of ourselves this way and were kind to ourselves. Because when we act this way toward ourselves and then each other, we begin to see how we can be subject to one another, even when there are disagreements. We are subject to one another when we stop building walls and start building fences. Or start building bridges. Wow. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm going to do that one again because now my rhythm is gone. We are subject to one another when we stop building walls and start building bridges. We are subject to one another when we work for equal rights and equal pay and safety and clean water and accessibility for everyone. We are subject to one another when we join together. Remembering Margaret Mead's words, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Be subject to one another, pleads the writer of Ephesians and Mr. Rogers and every religious path worth its salt. And our commitment to covenant as Unitarian Universalists which is a promise to be subject to one another, to be kind to one another. We know this stuff. We learned it as children. It's what drew us to this life-saving message of Unitarian Universalism in the first place. We just need to remember to notice each other's needs and seize the moment to act, to be willing to be uncomfortable in service to something greater than ourselves, to give of ourselves out of love and affection and compassion, to be truly kind to one another, to think before we speak, to speak with openness and generosity, to answer the call of our principles and our morals and our ethics and our faith, to know that our faith affirms who we are, even as we're figuring all this out, no matter who we look like what we appear to be. I will close as I started with Mr. Rogers, who sang these messages to us whenever we needed a reminder that we too are worthy of being seen and heard and valued and cared for just because you are you. It is you I like. Sing with me if you remember the words. Sing with me if you don't. It's you I like Not the things you wear Not the way you wear your hair but it's you I like The way you are right now The way down deep inside you Not the things that hide you Not your toys They're just beside you But it's you I like Every part of you 
Your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new. I hope that you'll remember, even when you're blue, <clears throat> that it's you I like. It's you yourself. It's you. It's you, I like. <laughs>